1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, all you Silver Club podcast listeners, welcome back to another Silver Club podcast. Colin Sheehan in the house once again. How you doing, Colin? Terrific, Steve. Here it's uh, snowy southern New England today. Kids had a two-hour delay. It's it's winter time. It's when I think about golf all the time. <laughs> I know you're not alone up there in the north, and the days are about as short as they can be right now. And uh, I have to apologize to all of our loyal listeners out there. We've been on a bit of a sabbatical since the beginning of November. We've had a very, very busy last month with the Silver Club Golfing Society, traveling around all great, great venues, been to places like Ford Plantation near Savannah, for our fourth major, we've been Pasa Tiempo. We've been out in San Francisco. I made a, a trip back, played in a pro-am at uh, Cascada and Shadow Creek with the Outpost Club. And we just finished up our Silver Club Championship at Champions Retreat just outside of Augusta. And that's a fantastic venue, Colin. I got I to gotta say, it's just a, it's a wonderful setting. And it was a great place to have our finale. Yeah, lovely place on the river there. 27 holes very always very impressed with the uh the attractively built clubhouse built environment very kind of new urbanist <laughs> uh that's a that's a lovely place and how to go down tell us about it well it was great we had everybody stays everybody stays right on site there the atmosphere was was wonderful uh, in case any of your listeners don't know champions retreat is the home of the first two rounds of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. And then they head about 20 minutes away to Augusta National for the final round. And Jennifer Cupshow, one of our past Silver Club podcast guests earlier in the year, was the was victorious at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. But uh, anyway, this venue of, of Champions Retreat, just uh, spectacular. We had, we had some really solid play. And we had two winners that really came out of this final championship venue. We had Brent Landry, who's from Roswell, Georgia, captured the overall title at the Silver Club Championship, fired really good playing of 75-73 in some very cold conditions, uh, tough to feel your hands, aided by a 300 par 33 coming in on the back nine on that final day to take the victory. Our captain of the golf, which is the overall points leader throughout the entire year, the the person who's really supported us the most and played the best throughout all of the, the season of the Silver Club Golfing Society was none other than Lawrence Largent from Kingsport, Tennessee. He had a few major victories this year, also finished runner-up at the Silver Club Championship itself, ended up winning the points list by about 500 points. So very dominating performance by him and uh, just great playing by Lawrence and, and Brent overall and everybody who was there. Just a uh, just a tremendous experience. Our partners from Dunhill and all of our great sponsors were involved, and uh, we just we we can't uh, we can't thank everybody enough for for being there. Excellent, excellent. Are you? Ex- I'm excited for um, round one of the Corn Ferry Tour final stage tomorrow or the day the today yeah, as, yeah. as as the podcast lists. I I've never been so um, excited and intrigued obviously with uh with the immediate past captain of the yellow golf team james nicholas was just the third ivy league player in conference history to uh earn a corn ferry tour card which obviously goes back to the ben hogan tour in 1990 and then in a rather exciting sort of finish evan harmeline from princeton graduated about 2012 has been slugging it out on the tours for the last seven years and by virtue of a top five on the Latin American tour for the Order of Merit for the year, he too is playing in this event. So suddenly, uh, the Ivy League Conference is doubling its number of players ever play on this tour, which is pretty exciting. That, that's I got to tell you, I have no idea how you come from the, the rigorous academic schedule that would be Yale 
just like James did. And, and we're going to hear from James here in a few moments on our podcast. But I just can't I can't believe how you come and, and all that studying and all that brain power use and then be able to come out and play great golf. I, I, I envy all of your players who can who can do that. And, and you know, yeah, it's it's not very easy to get something like that done, is it? I went to the University of Florida, great school, definitely maybe better for golf for me, but the academic rigors, maybe not as not as ramped up as an Ivy League school. No, it's impressive what they've done. I mean, it's it's not easy. It's a, it's a headwind of weather and geography, but um, still more than enough days of the year to golf and and get there. So I'm excited, and I also want to give a shout-out to a longtime uh, Outpost member, Dr. Stephen Nicholas, on the bag, caddying for James. Our listeners will enjoy the, the part where James made it through this – second stage uh, by himself carrying his bag without a single family member or friend or uh, there to there to witness it and then now he's got his he's got his he's got Steven on the bag caddy and this is uh, uh, it's gonna be I, I, I really wish I could have gotten down but I'm excited to track hole by hole live scoring updates for this event and and follow and, and all the and you literally as a, as a as a golf writer as a journalist you Every single player in this field is a is a compelling story, one way or the other. On their way up, on their way back, on their way trying to get to the tour. Every single person has a history, a story. had has been grinding f- since they were probably thirteen years old, and, and just as close to a dream as possible to get onto that tour and then to spend the year competing to get to the to the ultimate prize, the PGA Tour. It's it's a it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating power struggle and 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 Darwinian process. And uh, anyway, I'm 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 looking forward. I I, I can't follow enough of this of this, of the subplots and storylines from from every player in the field. Yeah, there's ton, tons of great storylines. Uh, absolutely, and and you know what? It kind of saddens me. The event itself is not televised. It really like it's such compelling television to watch these players. Really, it's a it's kind of a do or die situation in a lot of ways where these players, I mean, they all have some sort of status, but if you finish back in the pack, you're going to be a, you're going to be a conditional status player. And, and which means you're basically going to be able to Monday qualify and you're going to have somewhat of an opportunity, somewhat of an end. But you've got to play and you've got to play well. And I really just always enjoyed the fact that that event was televised to, to, to be out there. But one of our guests on the podcast today uh, Mr. Monday Q Info himself, Ryan French. He's got a ton of great stories out there, over 25,000 followers on social media. So you're going to check him out too and, and listen to what he has to say about the Corn Ferry Tour Finals and everything going on down in Orlando at Orange County National. But And and one other thing we've got to, we've got to talk about before we get to these great guests today, Colin, we, we can't let this moment go by without talking about Patrick Reed. You know, we talk about the spirit of the game. I mean, the Silver Club Golfing Society is all about the, the, the spirit of the game and the traditions and, and the, the honor and all of those sorts of things. And I feel like Patrick Reed is on the complete other side of the spectrum as far as those things go. And what, what he did in that bunker there down at the Hero World Challenge, just it, it kind of sickens me in a way as a, uh, as a lover of golf and, and the spirit of the game just kind of went by the wayside, didn't it? It's hard not to be totally disappointed in him. Like he knew what he was doing. He was impro- he was improving his lie, you know. And maybe because it was in front of a camera that he thought he it wouldn't he would have a sort of a plausible deniability. But he knew what he was. I I, I can't accept anything other than 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 him a willful disregard of the rules, and then and then to act almost you know like surprised to have been notified Bl- by it. Blaming it on the camera angle. I mean, that was that was the the weakest support of a, an argument that I ever I ever saw. He moved. I mean, all he needed was a I mean, he's darn near shoveling that that sand out of the way. It wasn't like a couple specks of a couple grains of sand. I mean, it was it was half the beach there. You know, he could be I mean, I know it's obvious he likes to wear the black hat and he's not going to ever be sort of Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and he relishes that kind of anti-hero status, but whatever support or or he might have is gonna will vanish if anything like this 
ever happens again. I mean, there's there's just no place in it. There's no place in the game for it. Um, I don't want to, you know. I just it's just it's just it's embarrassing to see the the representatives, the finest players in our sport on television to see someone like that kind of having being so it, at best clueless about about what the, the obligation is of the competitor in a competition to sort of to willfully follow the rules. It's tough. It's tough. To, it's it... broke a couple of the main rules of golf, right? I mean, right. you know, you, you, you can't improve your lie. You can't do that. That's like one of the things you learn as a five-year-old when you're out there playing and you're in a junior <laughs> clinic. I mean, that's like the, one of the first things you learn. And you know what? In the rule book, in the rule book, on the very first portion of the rule book, they talk about the spirit of the game and they talk about the uh, how how we should play golf and the honesty of which we should play golf and and this is the reason why golf is so different than every other sport. There's not a there's not a referee out there in stripes blowing whistles and and man, it's just golf is just I don't know. Maybe that's just the narrative in. Uh, in the world these days, I'm not going to go all political on you, but it's just maybe yeah, maybe that's just kind of I don't know. I, I I turn on the news and I just I see so much of this narrative being played out, and now it's being played out in our sport. And I just I want to I want to throw up personally. It's just <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, I I I hope um, you know that's essentially his. That's like his last. That's strike two. So if he. Drink two and, I, I and a hope, half, maybe. Yeah, he's yeah, he's right, right. I hope, I hope for his sake, he gets his act together and and he can sort of, there's a you know, he can sort of become an exemplar of the of the game and and not one that's sort of causing this type of embarrassing friction. I mean, imagine, imagine if this was the very first tournament you ever watched as a as a youngster or any fan of the game. You're like, hey, I'm going to turn on and and watch this this. Uh, event and it's in a nice spot and oh there's Patrick Reed what is he doing and and you, you stood this is how you start your introduction to golf and it's just it's just the wrong way in my book and but uh you know oh well it's uh you know hopefully the PGA Tour will uh will do something and 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 get him on the right track and uh, and all that but uh you know this is episode number 24 Colin we've got to we've got to make note of it I've got uh, we've got a couple more on the docket before the end of the year. Recorded uh, a little bit of time with Bob Toski recently, and uh, we're going to have a two-parter to finish the year out with with Mister Toski. And uh, but but today's podcast, you've done, Steve, you've done. By the way, you've done. You've you've done a great job. You're doing a great job. I I, I enjoy. I've enjoyed every single one. Uh, what for you? You know, as you have a moment, two dozen in. What do you? What is it that you're enjoying about the uh, the interviews and 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 uh, chasing these down? Well, I think it just the the connection to the game that uh, I, I try to you know put myself in a listener's space and try to figure out you know what would the listener really like to know and and hopefully I've I've dived into you know a lot of those those questions that the listeners would like to know whether it's from a great instructor like Bill Harmon or Boyd Summerhays or a great competitor like Jennifer Cupshow, who won the Augusta National Women's Amateur, or Chip Lutz, the legendary uh, amateur from the Philadelphia area, uh, or Steve Melnick from uh, the, the uh, great broadcasting space and and uh, U.S. Amateur, British Amateur champion. And uh, so th- there's been a lot of really cool people we've gotten to meet over this year. And and um, any any of our listeners out there, if you have any suggestions at all for any of our guests from 2020, hop on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram or Twitter or even find us on Facebook. Throw in your suggestions to us. We're all ears. We've got a lot of a, a lot of great ideas ourselves, but we want what you want out there. So we, we'll have another great year of, of podcasts, but we are not done We've got an awesome podcast coming up right now with Mr. Monday Q Info himself, Ryan French, over 25,000 followers on social media, as well as James Nicholas. He's going to give us some insight on how he prepped and is going to start right now at the Corn Ferry Tour Finals just outside of Orlando, Florida at Orange County National. So enjoy the listen. 
All right, but before we get to our guest today in our Silver Club podcast, I wanted to say we couldn't host this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society, a wonderful competitive society that's just finished its first season at Champions Retreat. We've named our captain of the golf for the year. We have our Silver Club champion. Our golfing society just continues to grow each and every day as the word spreads all over the country. We can't thank our partners enough either for all of their involvement this year. The Dunhill brand, Club Champion, Blast Motion, Global Golf Post, Torch Eyewear, Links and Kings, and Turtleson. Our friends of the Dunhill brand have an unbelievable raffle to give away shortly to the one person who has played in a Silver Club Golfing Society event this year. Your name will be drawn soon. You're going to win a great trip over to the Dunhill Links Championship in 2020 at Carnoustie, St. Andrews, Kings Barnes. You're going to be able to watch a lot of golf, attend gala dinners, play some golf on your own as well, and just have a tremendous time watching the greatest players in the world. So, Look forward to that very shortly. If you want to play some of the best courses all around the country and hit shots that matter, then the Silver Club Golfing Society is something you need to check out right now. We're on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook too, and our 2020 schedule will be out any moment on our website, silverclubgs.com. So check that out. We've got some outrageous venues coming up next year. I can't even name them. They're so great. And uh, we just can't wait to get this next season going and keep building on this great momentum that we've gotten this year. So stay tuned for that. Also, stay tuned right now for this week's guest, Mr. Monday Q Info himself, Ryan French, and James Nicholas, a competitor in the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. This is all about competition. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned and enjoy this podcast. All right, we are on the Silver Club podcast right now, and we've got Mr. Monday Q Info himself, Ryan French, on the podcast. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know what? You, you've you've got to have a sadistic side to you. I got to say because because <laughs> following Monday qualifiers like you do is uh, you know these guys who play in these things, and I, I did this way back, and uh, gave me. Gave me a lot of gray hairs and heart palpitations, but what what you've done really in creating a, a twenty five thousand over twenty five thousand followers now on Twitter follow Monday Q Info. What got you into this? Yeah, so um, after I played college golf, and then uh, I played junior college golf, and then I tried to walk onto a four year school, and that was kind of my moment that I was not uh, my seventy five weren't going to do the trick anymore. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, I didn't, I didn't play there. And then, uh, after college, my dad and I used to go on a yearly trip and caddy on a mini tour. So that was like our guy's trip. Um, we went to Hooters events, uh, Canada a lot, uh, did a bunch of some Monday qualifiers. So that was kind of like my, uh, look into the lifestyle. And, and, and again, you know, it's like a lot of people don't understand that outside of the PGA Tour, there's a lot of golfers that are struggling to pay bills and those kind of things. So <laughs> I'd say most of them are, right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, fast forward a lot of years, uh, my son uh, had brain surgery, and so I decided to be a stay-at-home dad. And this was really something to do just to like have an adult outlet. We have two kids, and so uh, it was something to do, and never in a million years did I think I would get to – I mean, I didn't think 2,500 or 250. So 25,000 was uh, was not even uh, a remote thought. So and, and here we are. And you've amassed this number in just a, a year and a half. Why are Monday qualifiers so enticing for people to watch? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things, Steve. I think uh, one is a lot of casual golf fans didn't even know that these existed. Um, or if they did, they didn't really follow them too closely just no one was really reporting on them. They they listed them on the PGA Tour website and who the Monday qualifiers were and those kind of things, but didn't really dive into their stories or how many times they've been to Monday qualifiers or those type of things. So I think that's part of it is that no one else is really reporting on it and no one really kind of knew this existed. Why you see a bunch of players out there is because, I mean, I use Doc Redmond as an example. Uh, there's plenty of other examples you can use, but, you know, Doc had no status. Uh, and 90 holes later, he finished second at the Rocket Mortgage. 
he's a full PGA Tour member playing again this year. And I mean, 90 holes changed his life. And there's a lot of golfers, as you know, that just haven't played right on the right week or whatever that can put 90 holes together and do what Doc Redmond did. Yeah, great, great story. I mean, Doc Redmond, obviously, a, and you're talking about a U.S. amateur champion right here, too, who's who's battling through these Monday qualifiers and yeah, all, all the drama that really surrounds that. I, I've back when I played in in 2003, I was a conditional member of the well, what's now the Corn Ferry Tour. It was called the Nationwide Tour back then. And I always love to say that that 68 was a great score any day but Monday. Uh, yeah, that's true. You're right. You shoot yes. that on a Thursday through Sunday in any any tour, and do you do that consistently? You're you're going to make some pretty good dough. But you do that on Monday, and you feel like you you just get kicked in the teeth because those those numbers just don't make it through the Monday qualifiers, do they? Yeah, I mean, uh, I do yearly stats at the end of every year, and I don't have them in, exactly in front of me, but uh, I think for Corn Ferry Tour, it was 65 and a half or 65.6 for the last spot average. And then uh, on the PGA Tour, it was a little higher because they tend to play a little bit better courses. But it was like 66.8 or 66.9. Like you said, I mean, you shoot 68 in a Monday qualifier. Not very often do you even need to go look at the scoreboard. You can probably just head right to the car and... uh, and forget about getting into that event. Yeah, I mean, even 67 for that matter, from what you just said. I mean, the average, I mean, the average is below 67. That's the average. So you're you're talking, you're talking, you know, 61s, twos, and threes, and you know, some of these stats that you throw out there. Just just give our give our listeners of the Silver Club who are you know we well at the Silver Club we always revolve around competition, and this is you know anybody who's who's a good amateur or, or wants to you know or think about playing professionally. You know, what's what's some of the great stats out there? Give me some of your top two or three stats that you've compiled over your time and that just kind of blow your mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's best summed up in the Monday qualifiers. I mean, I think uh, in the last two years, uh, there's been 12 times between Corn Ferry and PGA Tour that 64 wasn't good enough to get into the event, either 63 got in or 64 played off at a multiple spot. So, I mean, I always use that stat. And when people say, oh, you know, there's a guy at my club who's very good. And, you know, I mean, yes, they're playing relatively easy courses, but easy courses to a scratch golfer and easy courses to a professional golfer are much different. So go out and shoot 64 and understand that at, at times that isn't good enough uh, to get it done. And I mean, and, uh, and I think Q school last year is a great example. And again, yes, it was perfect conditions, golf in a dome type scenario, but in order to get your card over four rounds, you need to shoot, I think 18 or 19 under. So I use those two stats as, as kind of a benchmark of understanding how good, and these are players with no status uh, are, or little status. Exactly. They're players like you take a guy like Tyler Duncan, right? I, I'm just looking at at your your list of your uh, you know on your on your Twitter handle mm-hmm. here, and and yeah. anybody out there, by the way, who doesn't who doesn't follow Monday Q Info, you can follow him at a Case of the Golf One. Just look up Monday Q Info and a Case of the Golf One, and uh, check that out. But you take a guy like Tyler Duncan, who just won recently at the RSM Classic. I mean, he was really nowhere on the map. I'll just read one of your tweets here. It says, Tyler Duncan, just another example that for most pro golf is a process and results don't always show how close a player is. Just three years ago, he missed half his cuts on the Corn Ferry Tour, had one top 10, finished 96th on the money list, and had to go back to second stage of Q School. And now <laughs> he is a PGA Tour winner. He's going to be playing in the Masters, going to be exempt for several years on the big tour. I mean, it, it, it is pretty amazing, you know, the, the fine line that it is between these guys who are playing in these Monday qualifiers and then who go on and win tour events. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that we get spoiled by the top 25% or top 30%, whatever that is. And a lot of guys are like Tyler. I mean, Tyler, I think, finished 45th or 46th on the Latin American tour money list, you know, a couple of years prior to that stat. Um, you know, Joel Damon is another example. Top or at one time, I mean, he's close now, but top 100 player in the world. And I think he went three or four years straight in Canada 
without finishing in the top 30 on the money list. So I think that it shows two things is, is that, like you said, it's, it's very close. There's a lot of players who just haven't played right on the right week in Q school or whatever. And second of all, that for a lot of players, it's a, it's a process to learn how to travel and things they need to work on and all those kind of things to get to the level that they are. It's pretty amazing stuff. And yeah, you think about, uh, and some of these shows uh, have been on uh, in the past on television, maybe covering the uh, PGA Tour qualifying tournament. And I mean, now you can't even qualify right onto the PGA Tour. You have to go through the Corn Ferry Tour first and and uh, obtain your card through that way if you don't do it through uh, Monday qualifiers specifically, which very few people do. And we'll get to a couple of those players who've done that in a moment. But the coverage really that it's it's the, I, I don't know it's some of the best drama really uh, out there it's almost like you know, watching the NCAA basketball tournament it's a, it's a do or die situation every Monday what, what's what's a what's a great Monday qualifying story that you've seen out there that uh, that has gone on to, to greatness yeah um, I mean I, I think Doc is always always a good one uh, I mean, Corey Connors obviously is like, I mean, he was playing out of a different, uh, a different category. Uh, he had some PJ tour status, but the fact that he, um, you know, he was, he missed a cut in the Dominican Republic, flew to the Valero Texas open. And I think that people forget now that he's at a point of being considered for president's cup. You know, he was in the running for that. Uh, he's at the masters. He was in the tour championship. I mean, 18 weeks ago or 18 events ago, he was at a Monday qualifier in the Valero Texas Open. So, um, and the story to even get in the, to get into the Valero Texas Open, I mean, he made a 30 footer on 18 to get into a six for one playoff and then won that playoff. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's your 18 holes or 90 holes, obviously, from changing your career, and he's done it in 18 or 19 events. I mean. He's going to be in every major next year. He's going to, you know, he finished top, I think, in the 23rd or 24th in the FedEx Cup points. Uh, you know, he was considered for a President's Cup, and none of that would have been available to him had he not played that Monday qualifier and gone on to win. Yeah, spectacular. Yeah, and that, yeah, when we think about these Monday qualifiers, we think of the absolute no names of golf, the players who are way back, just just trying to give it a shot, quote unquote. But you really don't put in into the mix that that there are a lot of PGA Tour players and people who have their PGA Tour current membership. They might just not be high enough on the on the uh, reshuffle list or the priority list to get into each event. But but yeah, the, the players who are just trying to make it, they're battling against guys who are, are well seasoned veterans on the PGA Tour, and uh, the 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 level of play is really is really dramatic what really hit me back i don't know i guess it was probably 20 years ago or so and i saw that larry mize had to go to q school and it was the first time it ever hit me and this was like in the late mid late 90s i'm like this guy won the masters and he he should have a secure job for the rest of his life and he's going back to q school and and you know doing these monday qualifiers it just kind of it kind of blew my mind but you know, and, and kind of along those lines and shifting, this is really, we're really going to be talking about the Corn Ferry Tour Finals, December 12th to the 15th at Orange County National in Orlando. There's, you know, I guess it's like an extended Monday qualifier, really, is the is the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. Wouldn't you say that would yep. be the case? Yeah. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have to go low. Um, They just had a mini tour event uh, on the Florida Elite Tour. There are 36 holes, and I think the winner was 14 or 15 under. So, um, two rounds, I think he yeah. shot, yeah, two rounds. I think he shot 65, 64 or something like that. So, uh, it's obviously going to be a shootout. Yeah. That's going to be something. I mean, yeah, we, we got to get all these, you know, these Monday qualifiers live streamed, right? We've got to get out yes, there and, yes. uh, right. Maybe, uh, what sort of things maybe do you have in the future? I mean, I hope to, I mean, I think that we, you know, we have brought, these kind of stories and the Monday qualifiers have come. I think more people pay attention. Golf Channel starting to talk about them. Uh, you know, uh, golf outlets in general are starting to call so to talk about them more. So I hope to be at a lot more live and do. I streamed a few. Uh, I caddied in the Rocket Mortgage Monday, and I streamed that playoff. Um, I think 
my, my hope is to be at a lot more live next year and, uh, and stream and do some interviews and, uh, doing a lot of podcasts with, um, with Monday qualifiers and just kind of bringing out these stories. So, I mean, the short story is I hope to be at more, uh, uh, um, more live for sure. Like, you know, the, my Super Bowl is the Honda Monday qualifier cause it's in Florida. Um, and back to your point about how good it is, I, I did a stat and I don't remember exactly, but the letter A at the Honda Monday qualifier had like 10 or 11 uh, PJ Tour wins, like players that their last name started with A. So it was Robert Allenby and Stuart Appleby uh, were both in the Monday qualifier. I mean, you're talking about guys who have 30 million each in career earnings. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's certainly no job security out there for sure. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just tougher and tougher. I mean, how about on the let, let's take, uh, you know, one step up or one uh, age level up uh, the PGA Tour champions. You know, I seen you 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 threw some stats out. Yeah, uh, I mean, by far the hardest uh, the hardest Q school. You know, there's there's plenty of people say, oh, I'm going to wait till 50 and get it. I mean, it's five. It's five cards and they play off for five cards. It's not ties. So my stat was uh, 38 PGA PJ Tour wins, 54 Corn Ferry wins, 52 European Tour wins, 25 Japan Tour, 18 Asian, 12,000 PJ Tour starts, and 181 million in PJ Tour earnings are teeing it up at Champions Final Stage. So, um, I mean, there's people in there that I always, I mean, uh, I use Robert Carlson as a perfect example. The guy has 11 European Tour wins, and he's playing uh, at PJ at Champions Q School. It definitely. I, I think what you do with your with your Twitter handle and all the posts that you put out there, you definitely bring to light the, the uh, you know the trials and tribulations and the difficulties of trying to make it out there. And uh, you know you you illustrated with a bunch of stats, and it's uh, it's pretty tremendous. Now let's just talk really quick about uh, maybe some of the the future talent that maybe we're seeing on mini tours, and you know, are there any 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 guys out there who, you know, maybe they've qualified for a U.S. Open or two that, you know, what's your prognostication of, of maybe, a, you know, the next star on the Corn Ferry Tour and then the, the PGA Tour? You got any names for us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple that will be at uh, at uh, finals, Corn Ferry finals here coming up. Dawson Armstrong had a great uh uh, great college career. He made it to final stage. Uh, Chandler Blanchett. Um, so Chandler uh, won the Waterloo Open in 54 holes, and I think he shot 62, 64, 61. I think he was 29 under for 54 holes. Oh, that's it. He won on he won on the Latin American Tour uh, lately, uh, just about three or four weeks ago. Um, and then Hayden Buckley, uh, Hayden Buckley played at Missouri, had a really awesome amateur career. Uh, I think he missed three Monday. He turned pro in 2018. I think he missed uh, three or four Monday cues by one stroke. I mean, he's like always shooting 66, 67. Um, and he's made it through to final stage after a good year in Canada. So I think those are three guys that are all pretty young and are all going to be at final stage and have some sort of status. Um, I think you're going to see them, see their names a lot uh, up in the top of the leaderboard for sure. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And you're doing you're doing a lot of profiles of the Corn Ferry Tour final stage field uh, all throughout your 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 Twitter feed. There, uh, pretty spectacular uh, research that you're doing. I mean, this is a, this is a full time job. This is not just a uh, this is not just a hobby anymore, is it, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely become uh, it's definitely uh, become a job for sure. Uh, but I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's something I love to do. It's a fun job. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully one day I can make money doing it. But uh, right now it's it's a, it's a ton of fun, and uh, I've got to do things like this that I never thought in a million years I'd do. So it's really cool, um, and I'm happy to do it. Okay, well before we let you go, your all-time best Monday Q story. Maybe it's a a player that has done some things. I mean, you know, uh, I'll throw a couple names out there. Patrick Reed is somebody that comes to mind. T.J. Vogel, uh, some of these guys who just go through and seem to make all these Monday qualifiers. I mean, anybody outside of them maybe that has uh, yeah, that's, that's a that's a great Monday Q store that's made it through a bunch and 
that's uh, just on the verge of something special? Yeah, I mean, uh, Chip McDaniel is this year's like TJ Vogel now. TJ and and Patrick, uh, what they accomplished doing eight. I think both of them did eight. Patrick might have done six, but uh, I mean that's spectacular. I'm not sure that'll TJ Vogel's eight. I'm not sure will ever be matched, but um, Chip McDaniel will be at final stage um, this year. Also, Um, the story is a great one. He qualified for the U.S. Open, made the cut over there. Um, he was early on Sunday because he was down in the field, finished on Sunday, took a uh, bus to the airport, flew across the country, got into Boston at about 2 a.m., rented a car, drove to the Travelers Monday qualifier, teed it up without any sleep, and got in through (laughs) Monday qualifier. Yeah, just just ho-hum, just uh, do that and... Never had seen the course before. Uh, I mean, it's pretty spectacular. So he Monday qualified three times last year and the U.S. Open. So you're going to see he had a uh, top five off of a Monday qualifier down in an opposite field event. I think that uh, you'll you'll hear a lot from him on the Corn Ferry Tour this year for sure. Really cool. All right, and so you're going to be you're going to be starting a podcast. I see one that you've you've come out with uh, with a long time journeyman justin peters uh yes and i believe that's your first one i mean what were we going to see uh talk to us about some some of your podcast ideas and where you're going to kind of go with that as well yeah i mean we're going to focus on monday qualifiers and, and guys chasing it out there grinding uh talk to some latin american players uh players on the latin american tour mini tours really going to focus on people that uh, you know, you don't hear, I mean, not many people know Justin Peters, but when they hear a story, he's been to Q school 19 times, um, has a crazy story about, uh, a volunteer drove him between tees and they got in a car wreck and, uh, really kind of changed his career. Um, after he had finally gotten through at Q school. Um, so yeah, we're going to focus on some guys that live in tents and go chase Mondays and, uh, sleep in their car and those kind of things. So it's going to be stories of players that you might not have heard of, but uh, have interesting stories. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's pretty cool. And yeah, where and where can we uh, where can we listen to your podcast? Are they on all the the media outlets? Yeah, we're out all there? on the, all the yep on the all the major ones. It's called any Mon- any given Monday Q. And um, yeah, I mean we're going to start doing more regularly here. Uh, I'm hopefully going to be down at final stage for a couple days and knock out a couple and we got some guests coming up. So it'll be out there pretty quick. Wonderful. Well, Ryan French, thanks so much for being on the silver club podcast and giving us the insight on all these Monday qualifying stories. And we can't wait to see more in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Okay. All about. All right. Welcome to the silver club podcast. We have a very special guest this week, Mr. James Nicholas, the recent Yale graduate. And uh, we also have Colin is in the house as well and uh we're uh, we're excited to have you on here james oh yeah thanks for having me so you've got a lot of uh this, this has been a really a, a great build-up year for you you're on your way to the corn ferry tour finals at orange county national and uh just just talk to us a little bit about the process of making it to the finals um you know and and how that differs maybe from some of the the amateur events that you've played and 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 the buildup that you've created all the way through this summer. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's definitely been a crazy last two months um, traveling from uh, place to place, going to places I've never been. I'm, you know, into Mobile, Alabama, then to Dothan, Alabama. And uh, now I'm going to somewhere that's a little bit more familiar, well, which is Orlando. But um, it's been it's been crazy. It's kind of a, a survive in advance mindset, which I was used to in hockey, you know, during playoffs and in football, but, uh, you know, there was no real, uh, prize for getting through pre-qual and then through first stage. But once you got through second stage, at least you had something to, you know, fall back on, which is conditional at worst going into finals. But, um, I guess my mindset was really good. I carried, I carried my own bag at, at every, at every, um, at qualifying site. And I was able to really learn a lot about my game and just, you know, be alone for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, I think which really helped me. I learned a lot about my mistakes and how I should overcome them. And 
it's just been a really pretty crazy couple uh, couple months. Well, well, Colin can chime in here. I know you've you've gone, James. You've gone through, uh, you know, graduating from Yale University. Let's just throw that out there. It's no small feat. Uh, you graduated with a degree in biology, a concentration in pre med, and now you're you're getting to the the Corn Ferry Tour finals. Maybe maybe the road less traveled. Uh, Colin, talk about James as a player and his evolution really over these last uh, these last few years as a player and and uh, you know transferring really from when he came to Yale and to to now and and how that change has evolved. Well, it was a fascinating uh, evolution to watch. He he kind of came with a body that was that was sort of prepared for football and hockey, and he was sort of he was. Uh, but he, it was interesting how he transitioned out of football into golf, and it was dramatic. And he was still very a, a very young golfer, a very inexperienced golfer, you know, all things considered. Uh, while he was in college, and then the sort of the learning curve and was ex- exceptionally steep and fascinating to to watch. And the it was just major incremental advances one year to the next, and and uh, it, it was. Honestly, I think James, what you were you were it was the summer after your freshman year. I mean, when did you the first time in your life where you had uh, you dedicated your your full time to golf? It wasn't it, it was a relatively relatively late thing. Yeah, no, I I mean, I played golf 2 months out of the year every year. June and July were the the two months I could play because hockey went until, you know, late May and then uh football started up early August, so it was really freshman year when I when I quit football was that summer was the first summer that I ever played golf for more than two months in a row um, at any given time that, that that's really I mean I, I got to think that that's that's truly an amazing feat to to I mean it, it's a it's a sign to the athletic prowess that you have and and it really brings me to to probably the one of the biggest topics that I wanted to cover here is is this specialization early on in life right there there's all these these uh, and golf wise all these juniors who come up through these golf schools and you know they go to florida and their parents spend you know 40 or 50,000 dollars a year when they're 10 12 years old trying to to make them become a a a PGA tour LPGA tour player you didn't go down that road you know you, you alluded to you played football at yale uh you i mean back in high school you were the all state in hockey, golf, football. I mean, you were all these sports where you're using all these different uh, muscle groups, and now you are in the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. I mean, you're you're on the verge. You could be on the PGA Tour within a year. Uh, pretty amazing rise to where you are right now. Uh, talk about why maybe you didn't specialize and why you loved all these other sports. Yeah, I mean, I definitely attribute all my success in golf to, well, most of it, to playing uh, tons of sports growing up. My dad's a big believer in developing as much muscle, all the muscles that you can um, through various sports growing up. Um, and, I, you know, I was just down in Miami, and I met tons of 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids who are phenoms. You know, they've all won the state championship in, in Florida for for their age group in golf. And I, the, the one piece of advice I tried to give them was, like, you know, keep playing soccer, keep playing basketball, keep playing whatever sport, you know, you, you are playing right now, just because I see a lot of kids who I played with in the, the past two summers in the sunny hand in the Northeast and all the big amateur events that, um, we're talking about life after college. And they, they really were just like, I guess I'll, you know, they said, I, I guess I'll turn pro. Um, I've done it for so long that I guess I just have to give it a shot. And they didn't really have that drive or excitement, um, to really push over to the next level. And I think that was a combination of, you know, being burnt out from, you know, 15, 20 plus years of doing this um, and a combination of just being pushed too hard by the parents or, or their, um, their friends and family. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but um, with me, it was just golf was always a fun thing that I could go out and play with my family. And I tried to hit the ball as far as I could. I tried to, you know, shoot as low as I could, but I never got too stressed out about it. Um, you know, obviously when I went to college, it was a little bit different because your score mattered and you really were playing for a team, but I always try to keep the mindset of, um, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to play as best I can. And if I, you know, shoot a bad score, shoot a bad score. But, um, you know, there's no real, uh, severe push for me to play golf at such a young age, which is why I think I, I practice so hard and I, I love the game so much right now. Steve, the one thing I would, the, the thing I also want to add here is, is aside from the, 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 uh, diversification of sports that helped him 
individually as a golfer, um, every every college golf coach should hope that his recruited athletes had played a lot of team sports. Um, if the example of having James on our team is any kind of indication is that he brought a team first attitude. He brought a hockey and football team mentality to an individual sport. And there's a lot of, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than playing this individual sport in high school and college on a team. And it's obviously more serious in college. And then, then there's only the occasional kind of international matches and Walker Cup or President's Cup and Ryder Cup. But you'll never be on a more sustained, intense uh, golf team at any level than college. And and I have to say, um, one of the among the many among the many things that made James a special player and a, and a and a and a delight to have on the team was how he constantly looked at everything from the perspective of someone who was just one of many and that anything that was for the benefit of the team always took priority, which is a beautiful thing in this individual sport. That's fantastic. And, and, and you talk about individual sports and, and let's, let's dive in really to this corn Ferry tour finals, this Q school, if you will, right now, uh, you know, kind of like you alluded to, you, you took that hockey mentality, survive in advance through the pre-qualifier where you finished tied for 17th, uh, made it through there fairly easily. Uh, first stage, you made it right on the number. You made four birdies on the back nine to get in on the number, shooting eight under uh, four of the four rounds. Pretty spectacular. Um, and, and then really the, the second stage, get into the final round. You're right around that number, uh, and you go out and you fire a great round. Talk to us, you know, what was that number that you shot? And what was a spectacular shot maybe that you had in the process to to shoot that great score to propel you all the way through? Yeah, I mean, I guess that final round really started the night before I was uh, I was in bed. Just my mind was racing. I I, I couldn't sleep. Um, I didn't I, I probably slept about 10, 20, 20 minutes because my mind was just racing. And I was thinking about, you know, what the what ifs of, of the situation, you know, what if I play poorly? What if I play well? Um, but I started, you know, I tried, I kicked myself and I was just like, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Let's just like go out there and play golf. I've done it. I've done it the last seven rounds. You know, I've played great in, in all, in all my rounds of, of Q school. So why is this any different? Um, but you know, then I, then I get to the course, I warm up, I'm, I'm hitting the ball. Well, I get to the first tee, I, I hit a great drive, got about 115 into the, one of the harder part fours on the course. And I, I completely chunk my wedge and it comes out about 10 yards short of the green. And I, I fail to get up and down, and then I, I look at myself. I'm like, all right, well, I bogeyed this all every single time I played it, so I guess it's no different than the other rounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, then I um, I make a, a good comeback birdie on the next, uh, and then I just kind of went from there. I, I, I was really steady. I, I kept pushing. I kept making, you know, solid birdies, um, solid pars when I was in trouble. And then I, I you know, I, I kept just – as the holes went along, I kept – thinking about the outcome and tried, I really tried to keep, you know, to keep focusing in on every shot and just taking my time with every shot, making, making the best read I could, making the best stroke I could, um, which really helped me focus on the moment. Cause I think that a, a lot of times I just start uh, focusing on, you know, the end score, the end result. Will I make it? Will I, you know, what will I shoot? Um, but the whole time I was trying to remain present. And then I got to uh, 16 and I was, three under par for the, uh, I'm sorry, I was four under par for the round and 16 was the hardest hole for me because it's the tightest tee shot. Um, and I stood on the tee and I was thinking uh, maybe I should take a two iron, uh, you know, lay back, get the ball on the green, make a par bogey at worst. Cause I had four, three or four shots clear of the cut line. But then I, I kind of thought to myself, I was like, well, if I can't hit this shot, I'm not going to be able to make it on the PGA tour. So I just took out a driver and then hit it down the middle <laughs> at about 95 yards in. Um, to a pretty tough pin where if you missed it short or long, you're going to be, end up in a hazard. Um, it's about a seven yard wide landing area. So I hit a, a little 62 degree wedge from 95 yards, lands just over the bunker, takes one hop, checks a little bit and rolls and, and goes in. And, um, uh, Eagle it, was, it was, yeah, it was pretty awesome because the kids in my group kind of looked at me and smirked and they're like, you know, good shot as if they kind of, they were, you know, they didn't want me to make that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my first taste of professional golf. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. Welcome, welcome to the cutthroat world of professional golf. You don't have a teammate to look over to and, and give you a high five because you know, right. The, the old saying in professional golf is 
you know, nobody cares what you shot and those who care hope you shot higher. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, I was there by myself. My parents weren't there. I had nobody by the green watching. And I just, I look around to like, try, and I had no caddy with me. I try to, you know, celebrate and I end up just giving myself a fist bump because I, <laughs> I was like, all right, like I said, you know, that, that's pretty cool. And, you know, so I got some, got, got a good laugh out of that. And it was a pretty cool experience, a pretty cool shot. Definitely one of the best shots of my career. Um, and then I, uh, or sorry, that got me to five under for the round. And then I go make a good part. Well, I had 10 feet for birdie on 17. I kind of coaxed it up there short and just tapped it in for par and 18. I made a good two putt par. And, uh, as my team, as my competitor competitors were, were, uh, putting out, I, I FaceTime my, my parents. And the first thing I, I get my mom on the phone and the first thing she says is, you know, what'd you shoot? They were at a wedding. So they were away. And I was like five under, and I always like to play, you know, tricks on them so in my, in my, in my family group chat. I just, I texted done while I was FaceTiming with my mom. So all my siblings were responding, what'd you shoot? What, do you, what does that mean? What do you, what do you mean? Um, and I shoot SI 500 to my mom and she's like, well, total or for the day? And um, cause you know, total would have been pretty close to the cut line. Yeah. But then when I said for the day, she just burst out in tears and it was one of the coolest experiences, you know, that I've ever had. That's awesome. Tell me though, you um, conversely that, you know, you said you were helped by some conversations on the eve of the final round. I oh, thought that yeah. was fascinating. And that's something we, uh, you said we're going to talk to the team about. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Matt Rivera, I met Jackson. His son Jackson is a, a phenom. He's committed to USC. He's going to be one of the best players in the country soon. Um, and he, his dad, Matt, uh, texted me the night before and he was, he was telling me that pressure is a privilege which I thought um, was one of the most incredible, you know, lines I've ever heard. And I started thinking about it all night. I was like, well, if I was playing poorly, I would, I would have no pressure. So this round would be pretty easy. Um, and I would just go out there and shoot whatever score I was going to shoot. Um, but having that pressure meant I did something right the first three days and that I was in a good opportunity. I had a good opportunity to play well and, and make it through. So I, I figured that, you know, I turned the pressure – from something that could hinder my hinder my ability to play well into something that I was privileged to have um, and to push me forward and really, you know, focus and, and make the most of it out of it. Well, enjoy it. I know you're before you head south, you're pra- you're taking advantage of the uh, f- fantastic indoor outdoor facility at Westchester. And tell us tell us a little bit about the uh, extremely talented Gary Weir and your long your long term relationship with him. Yeah, um, you know, some people like having a golf coach and some people do their own thing, but Gary's been a, an instrumental part of my game and my, my progress over the past four years. Um, I mean, past 10 years, really. Um, but he's just been an incredible piece of uh, a piece of my, my life and a part of my golf game. And it's always fun going and practicing the indoor outdoor facility at Westchester Country Club. It's um, an extraordinary place to, to go and play and practice even in the wintertime. So I'll go there for the next couple of days while I'm prepping and uh, packing to go down south. And I mean, I can't thank Gary enough for all his hard work. Well, James, look, we wish you a lot of luck when you head down to Orlando to play the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be spectacular to watch December 12th to the 15th. Uh, check that out, everybody. Definitely have somebody else to pull for down there, James Nicholas. Uh, we wish you a lot of luck. And and once you make it to the Corn Ferry Tour, we're going to get you on in another couple months, and uh, we'll talk about your first victory out there very very soon. So. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, can't wait. Thanks so much for being on the Silver Club podcast today. All right, thank you.